Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. I always appreciate uh, hearing kind things said about my family. I think the, the greatest way you could ever make me happy is to say kind things about my family. So I appreciate that, Neil, very much. And I got to say, that is um, the most loved I've ever felt by someone just calling me normal. Right? <laughs> No, what a blessing. Love Neil so much. Love this congregation. Thankful for the opportunity to be here. Uh, let me ask you this question as we get ready to, to sort of get going with the very last lesson of the week. Um, who is familiar with the Jeff Jenkins bitter end story? Raise your hand if you've heard it. Oh, I can't believe this. This is great. So I'm going to tell it. I figured half the room would have said it. Jeff Jenkins is one of my all-time favorite preachers. Not only is he a fantastic gospel preacher, but he is just an amazing human being, amazing man. Love Jeff Jenkins. He was going to be the very, or was the very last speaker at the Freed Hardeman Lectureship one year. And you know how the Freed Hardeman Lectureship works. You know, this was four days, Freed Hardeman's, you know, the whole week. You got the booths set up and millions of people, feels like hundreds of thousands of people around. It's lots of people just everywhere. There's books and things and but as the week wears on, everybody's tired. And then over in the gym where all the books think, people start packing up and going home. And so by the end of the week, that room that once was bustling with people now has just a few books left in it and just sort of, you know, some trash on the floor and everybody looks real tired. And so Jeff was getting ready to be the last speaker of the week. And Jeff and some other guy are going through the bookstore. They're the last few books that are left, you know. And one guy looks at Jeff and says, doesn't know who he is. says, well, you here to the bitter end? And Jeff goes, I am the bitter end. <laughs> and so tonight, I am the bitter end. We will end this, this week together and thinking about what it means to be together in the way God would have us to. Our assignment is to talk about unity in a divided world. Now, I'm not going to be telling you any big revelation, saying something that you, you know, think is some crazy statement if I say, the world is angry. People are mad. People are scared. People are violent. It's difficult. Make a statement on social media and see, see how that works out. People are just waiting. They're just waiting to pounce. They're waiting to, to vent the anger that, that's pent up inside of them. We need a unifying message. And praise God, we have one. Because we have Jesus the Christ, the one who is the unifier in all ways of all things. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to, we're going to recognize the fact, some things that we know are true. Division is ugly and it's harmful. But on the other side of things, unity is beautiful and it's healthy, but unity can't be just unity at any and all costs. Unity is a proper way to approach it, a proper way to embrace it, a proper way to engage in it. And so we're going to discuss and think about tonight the unifying love of Jesus. Thankful for the songs that we've sung, thankful for the, the passage from Ephesians 4 that was read, because we're already being trained to think about, get our minds and our hearts in the right place to be thinking about the unifying love of Jesus, seeing how he loves us, knowing how we're to love him and one another, 
Over this week, you have heard so many things about practical Christianity that are described in the book of James. We're going to close by taking a few looks at what James has to say about unity and seeing that true unity, true unity is had when we love the Lord properly and when we love each other properly. Look at at what James says. James chapter 1 verse 12. He's going to talk in a couple of different places here about uh, love for God. Because, right, if we're talking about when Jesus was tested, he was uh, put to the test by the Jewish leaders. They said, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he answered, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? You remember these things. Well, James is going to explain some of the same things to us. James chapter 1, verse 12, look at this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. Now note this, which God has promised to those who love him. God has promised certain blessings to those who love him. Now, he's going to say, I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm going to tell you what that looks like. You don't get to just decide, well, based upon the way my heart feels, I'll love you like this, Lord. No, he says... There's a crown of life reserved for those who love me. And I'm going to tell you what that means. James chapter 2 verse 5, something very similar. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Note this. Who are, who are the heirs of the kingdom? It's those that he has, he says, which he has promised to those who love him. So two different times there. James 1, James 2, he says, I have excellent, amazing, otherworldly, only divine blessings reserved for those who love me. Then there's this, also there in James 2. He talks about loving others. James 2 at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. So what James is telling us here is he says there's there's a proper way to go about loving each other. There's a proper way to go about identifying and and living in unity. It has to do with loving God and loving others, of course. And it's all summarized, he says in that statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So let's let's look very quickly. I just want to hit a few highlights real quick in the book of James about some things that the Holy Spirit says through the pen of James here about what proper unity looks like, what proper love for neighbor looks like. Well, right there in verse 9, James 2, 9, he says that it's no partiality. You shall not show partiality. Don't you recognize this is a sin? Now, I recognize in that statement, in the particular context, he's talking about if someone comes in and they're dressed poorly, shabbily. He says, if you put them over to the side and then bring the one who's dressed nice up to the front and you show them honor and you put on, you know, really pour on the love for them, but you ignore the person not dressed well. You have sinned in showing this partiality. But you and I, we're smart enough to recognize it's not limited to that. If I show partiality to someone based upon any kind of thing, dressed poor or dressed really well, different color skin, different kind of bank account, whatever it might be, if I show any kind of partiality, putting one person down and holding someone else up, the Lord says that is sin and that's serious every single person that you come in contact with every single one is somebody made in the image of God 
who has a soul that is of infinite worth. How dare you treat them any other way? And so he starts this by saying, if you will love others as you would be loved, you won't show partiality. You won't be prejudiced. But he keeps going in chapter 4, verse 11. I won't read these things to you. We'll hit them quickly. Chapter 4, verse 11. Don't speak evil of other people. Don't talk about people. Don't spread rumors. Don't gossip. Just don't talk evil of people. Chapter 4, verse 12. Don't be a hypocritical judge. That's the whole point of Matthew chapter 7. Judge not lest ye be judged. He goes on speaking of specks and beams. He doesn't say you're not allowed to decide what's right or wrong. You're to determine what's right or wrong. But you're not to be a hypocrite. You're to recognize you have sin and you have issues and you have problems. And you want to help others, you want them to help you. And so hypocritical judging is, is outlawed here as well. We keep going, chapter 5, verse 9, don't grumble and complain about others. Moving back up to chapter 3, verse 16, don't be jealous. You know, we read from Ephesians 4 a moment ago. I think all of these things that James is talking about here could be summed up in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as you've been forgiven. That's the way that the Lord expects us to treat each other. Go to, go to James chapter 4. I want you to see the, the root cause of the division. I, I will say it this way. This has been what others for many, many centuries have said before me. But the problem is this. Love rightly ordered is when we're doing things right. But when love gets out of order, when love gets out of whack, when I love the wrong things too much, or don't love the right things enough, when my love gets out of order, then I've got problems. And that's exactly what he says here in James 4. Read this with me, James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The things that, that well up inside of you that make you want to love some things and hate other things, they're out of whack. Verse 2. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Note this, to spend it on your out-of-whack passions. And he keeps going. Verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So let me say it to you this way. There are right ways, righteous ways to love. And there are unrighteous ways to love. There are unrighteous ways to express emotions and feelings. It is absolutely false to say Love is love. That's not a biblical concept. Not all expressions of love are equal. We shouldn't love what it's wrong to love. Amen. Consider Romans 12.10. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Not, not just don't put on airs, don't put on a fake face, don't be a hypocrite. Let love be genuine. It's not just genuinely be a person that is kind and loving, but it's also this, love the right way, and he describes it. 
Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We should not love what it's wrong to love. He says, abhor, hate what's evil. Don't don't say that evil things are good. Don't say that evil things are celebrated. Don't say that evil things can be loved by you. Abhor what's evil and hold fast to what's good. So we shouldn't love what it's wrong to love. That's That's a problem that we have, not just, I wouldn't say just in this world or in society, but within our own hearts and minds. We've lost track of what it is to truly love things the way the Lord would have us to. Don't love what it's wrong to love. But there's also this. We shouldn't fail to love what should be loved. Let me say it again. We shouldn't fail to love what should be loved. The passage that comes to mind would be this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. says The Lord says there were certain ones who were perishing, certain ones who were being destroyed. Why, Lord? Why were certain ones being destroyed? Here's why. They refused to love the truth. So there are some things that we must love, and if we don't love it enough, that's a problem. That means our, our love is out of order. It's out of whack. So there's some things that we, we cannot love, and there's some things that we must love. We can't miss loving. And I think you see the point. When it comes to the Lord, his church, the truth, all of these things, these things must be loved. It's not negotiable. But all of those different things with us a moment ago that James mentioned that fit into the category of sin, these things cannot be loved and must be avoided. So for a few minutes, let's talk about what it is that, that true unity is, what it looks like, uh, what true unity is about, rightly ordered love. If you would go to the, the first slide for me, please. Go to the first slide, please. Thank you. So true unity is enjoyed when we love the Lord and each other properly. We've seen those passages in James 1 and 2. Now go to the next one, please. Because here's the first point we're going to make. Unifying love is sacrificial. Unifying love is sacrificial. We see the depth of somebody's love and what it costs them to love us. If they have to make great sacrifices, if they have to make great sacrifices to help us, to communicate with us, to be with us, that demonstrates the depth of their love, their sacrifice. I shared this story this morning at South Green Street, and I'll share it again with you. Um, For those of you that heard it this morning, Laura, others, sorry. But I think it fits so perfectly with this idea. Two stories just this last week in the papers about love, about commitment to one another. The first one was written by a woman named Danielle Epstein, and she wrote the piece. She wrote it into the the op-ed for the Daily Mail. She was engaged as a fiancé, and turns out the fiancé has brain cancer, and she's not having it. She's going to leave. She's going to break the engagement and get away. The doctors were pleading with her, please don't leave him yet. See him through this. He needs your help. And in fact, there's plenty of a chance that he'll recover. Stay with him. And she said, I just couldn't see myself being happy with you. I'm gone. In the same week, there was this story. You folks here in Bowling Green are probably familiar with uh, the Kenny Perry family. Kenny Perry, pro golfer, deacon down the road at uh, Franklin. Read the story about him and his wife, Sandy. Sandy recently uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. 
And what can he do? Get angry? I can make all kinds of money on the senior tour, on the champion's tour. Or say, I sacrifice for you. I'll give up my busy schedule. I'll give up the money that comes from tournaments. And I'll be with you. You see, love is sacrificial. The unifying love of Jesus is ultimate in sacrifice. Jesus gave his life, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And of course, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What are we willing to give up to make sure others know we love them? What are we willing to sacrifice in order to make sure someone else knows that we want to be a part of a unifying love together to to mark out all the, the chaos and the noise and the violence that's outside and say, I love you. Let me demonstrate it with the sacrifice I'll make. Because sacrifice has the power to attract. It's beautiful. Selfishness is ugly and it repels and nobody wants to be around it. But unifying love sacrifices for the good of others. Unifying love is selfless. In the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the second half of verse 4, it says that love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. doesn't stomp its foot when it doesn't get what it wants. Because love says, you know what, sometimes I let you. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, or depending on the translation you're reading, it might say something along the lines of it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In other words, love forgives and moves on. You notice that anytime somebody forgives something, somebody's sacrificing. Every single time. If you've wronged me or if I've wronged you in some kind of way, somebody's got to sacrifice. Let me, use, let me use Jeremy here. Let's say I, I wronged Jeremy. And we're, we're neighbors, and so there's oftentimes I probably do take advantage of him. He probably wishes we didn't live on the hill where he lives. But if I wrong Jeremy, somebody now has to sacrifice. Either I sacrifice and make it right, or he sacrifices and lets me go. Somebody has to. And so the question will be, in your situation, when you come in contact with someone that has wronged you or you've wronged them, which path will you take? The path of unity or the path of division? The Lord says that we're to be those who forgive. We're to be those who unify with our love. Let's love each other this way. The second one would be this. Unifying love also offers security. Unifying love offers security. We see the depth of someone's love and the way that they make us feel safe. We can, we can understand the depths of someone's love and the way they make us feel secure. Because part of what makes a home a home is the feeling of security that being in that place brings. So wherever you're made to feel safe and part of things and important, you know that you're home. No matter what the walls are and what the building is, what the address is, where you're made to feel safe and important and included, you know you're home. That's why at a place like this, at Lehman Avenue, that's a, a university town, right? You can have kids that come from all over the place and they ought to feel on Sundays and Wednesdays and those times they're together as college kids, they're home while they're away from home because they're made to feel included. And I know you do that. 
Unifying love offers security. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love bears. That means that it bears the weight and the pain and the ugliness so that the beloved doesn't have to. It protects from ridicule and from shame and from embarrassment. It protects from the destructive, deceitful plan of the devil. One of the things that the Lord expects godly men to do is lead and protect their homes. And part of that means protecting their homes with the truth of the gospel from those ugly things that Satan seeks to bring in. So that's a call to you men to stand up and do what is right. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And Ephesians 5, 26. Christ loved the church in such a way that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Unifying love protects by offering a safe place when others have, have left them for dead. The church should be known as the place that says to those who've been discarded and kicked and overlooked to say, we have a place. It reminds me of, you all know Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. One of the best loved, most well-known uh, parables that Jesus told him for good reason because it's so powerful and it's so clear and it gives us so much hope. Because when that young man who had so callously and so wickedly taken the money from his father and gone off into the far country of sin and wasted in all manner of sin, wakes up there in the pig pen, it says, the Bible says he came to himself and he realized, if I go home, I'll be safe. If I go home, I'll be fed. If I go home, I'll be protected. And that's the way that people ought to think of the church. If I go home, if I leave the far country of sin, if I get up out of this pig pen that I'm in, if I get up out of this sinful place that I'm in, if I go back home, I'll be welcomed. Don't let it be said of us that they said I wanted to go home, but I was scared to because I knew how bad they'd treat me. Unifying love is a love that offers security. A place where the kids can come home and say, I know mom and dad, they'll just be glad I'm home. They'll be glad I've come back. Same thing for us. The elders will just be glad. They'll, the elders will weep with me. The deacons will, will bring, bring me food and you know, it'll be great because they'll be glad I'm back. We have to love others this way. And thirdly and finally, not only is, is unifying love about a place of security and it's, it's about sacrifice, but we have to say this in the time that's left or I would be remiss. Unifying love is founded on truth. Unifying love is founded on unchanging, objective truth. And here's what I mean by that. You're going to see the depth of somebody's love on the occasions when they tell you something that's hard. 
When they have the the strength of character and the love in their heart for you to tell you something that's uncomfortable. I heard one individual say one time, how much you have to hate somebody that if you believe there's a hell, not to tell them about it. Thomas Sowell would say it this way. He was a brilliant, or is a brilliant uh, statesman and economist, philosopher. He said it this way. When you want to help people, tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, tell others whatever they want to hear. Unifying love is based on the truth. And love and truth are inseparably linked. Genuine love is submissive to the objective standards of right and wrong, good and evil. Let me give you some examples of what I mean by that. Because I can't just, remember I said a moment ago, I can't just say love is love. I can't beat you, curse you, and treat you so wickedly and say, that's love. No, I can't redefine it. You read Romans 1, 26 and 27, and it speaks of certain things that are unnatural. I cannot engage in those actions and call that love. The Lord won't allow it. And so I can't redefine what the Lord has already given parameters for. A modern misconception is that love means acceptance. That if I love you, that just means I accept anything and everything about you. And the Lord says, that's not what it is. Think of it this way. Think about if you're a parent, think back to those times you've got grown kids, older kids. Think back to those times you had little kids. Neil mentioned our kids. We got, they're 14, 14, and 11 now. A lot of ways they still feel super little, but other ways they feel super big. But I can remember, I can remember when we had to tell them, you don't do that. You don't touch that. You don't go there. Why, how come it was, how come I never gave my kid a ball and said, a best idea would be go out onto the highway and play with this? Because I love them. And so I give them parameters. I give them, I give them rails and rules because I love Certain places you go are dangerous. Certain things you do are wrong. No parent has ever said to their child, because I love you, I embrace every single choice you've ever made. That's not the way it works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at verse 6, this is what the Bible says. This is what love is. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. In other words, love doesn't celebrate sin. Love doesn't celebrate iniquity. This is God's definition. Love does not celebrate wrongdoing, but it celebrates or rejoices with the truth. Love requires training. It requires guidance. It requires discipline and correction. It is not love that refuses to to voice disapproval. Love tells and celebrates the truth. So we have to have the love and the courage to tell others that they have strayed from the truth when that's the case. We also have to have the love and the humility to tell the Lord when we've strayed from the truth and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Because see, it doesn't work just to stand around. I can stand up on this tall pulpit all day and point out sins. But I'm the worst kind of sinner if I don't start by saying, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And that means I recognize the truth. I recognize that there's a standard for me as well as for any other person that lives and breathes. We have to love others this way. The Lord is not exalted by, you know, ideas of coexist and all those kinds of things. The Lord's not glorified in denominationalism, all those kinds of things. As as our brother read a moment ago, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says so plainly, there is one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. There's, There's this one plan the Lord has given. And unifying love is founded upon the truth. So we close with James chapter 2, verse 8. We started earlier with James 2. We're going to end with James 2. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, we're familiar with it. The golden rule, Matthew 7, 12 is the place I normally think of when I think of this. Treat others the way you want to be treated is what Jesus said. And that, that works and that is true all the time. Matthew 7, 12 is like always applicable. Doesn't matter what it is you're going through. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Unifying love. Just thinking personally. Thinking through these things. Just, just thinking alone. Just, just, just me and the Lord. This is what I'm thinking. I want to be so important to somebody that they're willing to sacrifice for me. I want to be protected and know that I'm safe. I want to be told the truth. Even if it makes me uncomfortable, I want to be told the truth. This is the way I want to be loved. And this is the way the Lord expects me to love others. And thankfully, this is the way Jesus loves me. And it's the way he loves you. This is the type of love that will bring unity into a divided world. When we recognize that love is the type of living and life that that sacrifices for others and welcomes them in and shows them a place of hope and security and kindness, but never, ever compromising that which is true. Because the Lord has told us, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. We're told in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's no other name under heaven except for the name of Jesus that saves. And we know from Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, it's only the blood of the Lamb that we can be washed in and cleansed in and made white as snow, made brand new. And so if any of those things apply to you, if you need to come home back into a place of safety, this place welcomes you. If you need to obey the gospel because you've never been one that has obeyed the truth of Jesus and been washed in his blood, you've never submitted to the love that Jesus offers, well, this is your opportunity as well. This place, these shepherds, these good people here love you and encourage you to come while together we stand and while we sing.